Hi, Cornerstone people. Hey, check out the timestamp at the bottom of your video screen there, and you will see exactly how long I am going to take to share a few thoughts with you that I've had this week uh, from what uh, is possibly the most famous slash infamous uh, passage of the New Testament. Probably not the most famous, possibly the most infamous. Why would um, a passage from the Bible be infamous? Well, hold on, I'll tell you in a moment. And um, I'm talking about uh, James chapter 2, verses 14 to 26, and I'm going to read them just quickly for you before uh, I share some thoughts. So it says this, and I'm reading from the NIV. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith with deeds. You believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and was called and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way was not even Rahab, the prostitute, considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. This is a, like a, a particular section of, of this letter. Um, and, and James begins a new topic in verse 14. And he kind of wraps it up where I wrapped it up. And like any good teacher, James uh, finishes by giving us a couple of exemplars, a couple of examples. He, he, he points us to a couple of role models on the issue that he is talking about. And that issue is a significant issue, right? It is the difference, James would say, between a dead faith and a living faith. And that would be significant to us, should be 
significant to us. If we want to have a faith, if we want to uh, identify with Jesus, follow in his way. Uh, because what's the point if the faith that we have, the life that we're living for God is dead? Uh, if it isn't real, why bother with it? Um, and I find the examples that James points to here really interesting. Uh, Abraham, the great father of faith for the Jewish and Christian people. And then this other somewhat minor figure in comparison to Abraham, Rahab. Now, if you know the story of Abraham, he is the one that um, Jews, in fact, Muslims as well, and Christians look to as kind of the first point in the development of our faiths, of our religions. And I'm fascinated by him as a figure, sort of through Jewish eyes, because it occurs to me that, you know, Abraham, Abram, as he was called at the time, he, he came so long before the law, which really is the, the organizing principles around which God's people, the Jews at this stage, sort of congregated, right? Like the shape of their life together, how they knew who they were, what made them Jewish, as it were, was the law given to Moses. And here we have this figure that um, probably relative to the many Jews through history who have seen Abraham as a father figure and have, have kind of considered who he was before God, relative to them, he, he, he might very well look like someone who isn't a part of the faith. Uh, he might very well look like someone who they would consider to be, and this is an interesting term, but it's in there, a pagan, right? Someone who doesn't have that um, identity before God because he isn't living according to the law of Moses. Understandably, the law hasn't come yet. Moses is years and years after Abraham as a figure. Abraham's this guy living in the desert. And uh, it actually says he, he, he was worshipping other gods. There were other idols in his temple, uh, in his tent, sorry, in his, in his, um, in his family life. Um, but he comes into relationship with the God who would become the God of Israel because God reveals himself to Abraham. And it sort of gives us uh, some reasons here why Abraham can still be admired, even though he is someone who might not be recognizable as a Jew, um, because he had faith in God. He believed God. He had faith when God said, I'm going to make a great nation out of you and your wife with all your fertility problems. Uh, he had faith when God said, I want you to leave the place where you live and go to a completely new land, if you know the story. He also had faith, as this passage mentions, when it comes to uh, this strange story where it would seem like God was asking him to sacrifice his son, and that's a whole another story for another time, but you might want to go and look at that if you're not familiar with it. Anyway, 
what it was that was remarkable about Abraham uh, is that he opened himself up to God, that God revealed himself to Abraham and, and he said, I, I will trust this revelation that I've had of God. I will trust this God who has revealed himself to me. Rahab, uh, there's a little clue why I think she might be an interesting sort of uh, role model, an interesting example for James to use. It mentions uh, that she was a prostitute. And if you know the story um, from the book of Joshua, it's not a big story uh, in terms of how much space it takes up. And, and we don't know much about Rahab other than God uses her as someone who isn't a Jew, as the people of Israel are coming into the promised land. And um, God sort of says, you know, the people that are already living in this land are, uh, are doing such horrible things that I'm going to give the land to you. You might have heard the famous story of the Battle of Jericho. Well, Rahab is a prostitute in that city and she offers some spies that Joshua sends into the land. She offers them help. And in exchange, uh, she and her family are spared when Israel comes and, and takes the city and defeats the city of Jericho. Why did I begin this by mentioning uh, that this is a somewhat controversial passage, this passage which speaks about Abraham and Rahab and speaks about the nature of faith and its relationship to what James calls works, something that we live out. Well, the reason this passage has become somewhat controversial um, is because possibly the most influential Christian of the last 500 years really didn't like it. And in fact, he suggested that this whole book, mostly because of these verses, shouldn't even be in the Bible. Now, in some ways, it's an easy choice for us, an influential Christian, no matter how much they've shaped us, no matter how great they might be on so many levels, versus the Bible. You know, as Christians, we're going we're gonna to choose the Bible as our authority. But if you haven't picked up who that person was, uh, you might be surprised to learn that it was Martin Luther. Martin Luther really did not like this passage in particular and the book of James in general. And the reason he didn't like it, I, I kind of understand because he had this emphasis, understandable emphasis in the face of everything that he was kind of hoping to reform and beginning to reform in the uh, corruption of the Catholic Church of his time in the 16th century. He had this focus on the doctrine of salvation by faith alone, through grace alone. And if you know that doctrine, uh, it sort of says that, you know, there is nothing that you can do to earn salvation. Salvation is a free gift of God to we human beings. And, you know, there's a good chance that someone listening to this, someone who hears this message when I preach it in person at church today, um, is going to remember a moment for them when that doctrine became so clear and so important. When we feel wretched as 
Uh, we can read about Luther feeling wretched. Uh, the news that it is not our behavior, it is not anything that we've done or can do that can kind of qualify us for God's grace and God's love is such good news. Sometimes that is the news that we sort of step through uh, and, uh, and step into uh, on our way into salvation, on our way into freedom in God. It comes as such a relief to so many of us that what Martin Luther lived his life to preach, that God just loves us and offers us grace if we accept it, regardless of what we've done. Um, you know, it's wonderful. It's a wonderful revelation. And there's so much in scripture to back that up. You can see how that could be sort of considered to be in tension with the words of James here. I certainly understand why Luther, where he was coming from, struggled with this. But I'm going to be bold enough to suggest that uh, we have good reasons to, to take James's words over, over Luther's in this matter. Um, I think in order to see clearly why, we just need to look a little bit deeper into these two examples, these two role models that James gives us. The first one, Abraham. You know, uh, by the standards of the Jewish law, as I've mentioned, there would have been a lot about Abraham's life that didn't quite stack up. But what is remarkable about Abraham for, for Jews and for, for we as Christians is that he lent into relationship with God. I, I, I love the fact, actually, um, in verse 23, um, it says that Abraham believed God and it was credited, it's a hard word to say, credited to him as righteousness. There's that faith emphasis that I guess Luther would have loved <laughs> as he read this if he objected to so much more. Um, but then it goes on to say, and he was called God's friend. You know, I wonder maybe if Luther didn't quite get there, didn't quite get to a place where he felt like he could be a friend of God's. But I think what's so significant about Abraham is not just that he lived in a way, you know, according to what was right or wrong, um, that God found him acceptable, but actually that he had a real relationship with God. You know, if you have a real relationship with someone, if you have a true friend, uh, all sorts of things might come between you. You can wrong each other, but you can get over it because if you love one another and you keep engaging in the relationship, your friendship can last. The friendship can be more important than the things which, you know, the water that might pass under the bridge of your relationship, the things that might go wrong between you. If you continue to lean in and relate to one another, you can work that stuff out. And I believe that's part of what the scripture is getting to here, that Abraham and God were able to work it out as such. God, by his grace, because he saw that Abraham was open to him, because he saw that Abraham believed in him and trusted him and wanted to walk his life with him continued to engage Abraham in that sense. I think that's really good news 
isn't it? I mean, by extension, you could say that um, Martin Luther's emphasis on salvation by faith alone might mean, and this is completely hypothetical, that there could be a generation of people who were saved by God, generations and generations of people, in, in fact, who were saved by God, who lived a life that didn't reflect their relationship with God and then somehow, just at the moment of their death, confessed their sins and received God's grace and went on to heaven. Hypothetically, maybe that is possible, but it's also kind of an absurd idea, isn't it? Because we know that God is up to something in the world. God is wanting to do something in the world. God wants a people in this world that are a part of his kingdom, that are a reflective of his values, that are doing his work in the world. And so it makes sense what James says, that actually uh, faith isn't something that just qualifies you for salvation, but it's better than that actually. That, uh, that it is something which brings you into an ongoing relationship with God, such that your life is changed because you are about God's business in the world. As you come to know God, influenced by your relationship with him, are changed by his grace, you live in a particular way. I love also the fact that Rahab gets a mention here because again, someone who by maybe the standards uh, that most Jews who would have received this letter might have held, might have kept, she just, she just has so many reasons not to qualify as one of God's special people. I mean, not only is she a Gentile, she not, you know, a part of the, of the ethnic or, or uh, ethnic people of God, as it were, but she is engaged as a prostitute in, in a lifestyle, in a career, uh, that, that just would have been considered to fly in the face of God's standards. What I like about this story, though, is that, uh, you know, if you read it from Joshua, it's not even <laughs> necessarily as if she was doing something virtuous in helping these spies out. It mostly talks about the fact that she and, and everyone who lived in Jericho were really afraid. And so she sort of makes a deal. Listen, I'm going to help you if when you come and vanquish the city and destroy, you know, the people that, that I'm living with, you save me. It's sort of fairly self-interested. But what's significant about it is that she plays a part in the unfolding development of God's saving purposes through his people. She plays a part in the great story that unfolds through scripture. There's a moment in time, because she's only mentioned very briefly in the book of Joshua, where this woman who, who is so much outside of the norms of how we might consider God to work, makes herself available and is used in the great story of God's people and what God is doing in the world. That's a relief 
to me because it tells me that you know so much <laughs> might go wrong in my life there might be so many ways that i don't reflect who god is and live out his purposes moment by moment i'm a broken person i, I sin like all of us and yet god can use me profoundly you know this isn't the only place where these two figures are mentioned together in the New Testament. The other place uh, that is really significant to me this morning as I think about Rahab and I think about Abraham is actually in the very first chapter of Matthew. And if you know what the first chapter of Matthew concerns, it is about the family tree of Jesus. Both Abraham is the great father of the faith and Rahab as well, figure in the family tree of the Son of God. Both of them, without whom, you know, uh, uh, the chain of Jesus' lineage is broken. I believe that should be a comfort to all of us. You know, um, we are saved by grace and we should grasp firmly to that truth. It is a part of our salvation. It is a part of the glory of God's good news that there's nothing actually that, that we can do in ourselves that would qualify us for salvation. But you know, it doesn't stop with salvation. It's better than that. God doesn't just want to save you and take you to heaven. He wants to be your friend. He wants to work through you in the world. And you know, you might day by day wonder how God could possibly work through you. You might make the same mistakes that I do, that so many of us do day by day. You might feel like you're hidden away doing something inconsequential. You might feel like you're compromised in your job to some degree. I think we all probably feel that from time to time. But the inclusion of Rahab in this story means that there will be moments in your life if you open yourself to God that he can outwork his redemptive plans and purposes through you. Hey, I'm going to pray just quickly. God, we thank you for this teaching from James that, you know, if we want to have a faith that is truly alive, it needs to have some sort of content. Faith is not just a kind of abstract category. It's not just something that we sign up to in the sky. That doesn't mean anything. No, when we have faith in you, our lives are changed. Uh, you begin to do your good work through us. And Lord, as broken and fragile as we are, there are times and purposes that you have planned for each of us where you can achieve something great. And uh, Lord, I pray that your people, those who hear this message, would just be about what Abraham and what Rahab were about. That is opening themselves up to be your friend. That is being prepared to be used by you in possibly unexpected ways. Hey, amen.